Welcome to Wire Talk, where we encourage and equip moms by answering practical questions about motherhood. We want to help instill God's truth in your heart so you can experience more joy and peace on your journey of motherhood. Here's your host, Sunny Williams. We're doing something a little different, and we, for the month of April, are going through a Bible study in the book of James. And the reason we decided to do this is because a lot of times in the month of April, it's Easter, so we want to get into the Word. We have that on our minds more often. We know the significance of the Easter holiday, and we just want to study the Bible a little bit more. And a lot of times, if we're honest, we don't really know how to study the Bible. So I'm just sort of walking through the book of James. It's a quick, short book in the Bible, five chapters long, and I'm just sort of going through it. We're going to at least get through the first four chapters, um, try to get to that fifth chapter if we can, but I'm just going to sort of show you what I do and how I study the Bible. I am not a Bible scholar. We talked about that last week. I did not go to seminary. I wish that would be nice. Maybe I could do that in my future, but I'm just going to sort of show you how a lay person, me, like me, um, studies the Bible, how I get into the Word, and the nuggets that I gain from it. So I told you last week I'm reading from the New Living Translation Bible, and I chose that. I have different Bible versions that I read out of, but I chose that because it's an easy translation to understand, and I just thought since we're all starting on the same page and sort of ground zero, let's start with an easier translation. I also pulled the New Application Bible No, Amplified, sorry, the New Amplified Bible, and I've got some study notes in that Bible that I pulled from. So just wanted to go ahead and give you all my references. So let's just dive in. Let me read the chapter of James 2 first, and I'll go through the whole thing, and then we'll come back and I'll sort of break it down for you the way I break it down within my own self. All right, James 2, 1. My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? For example, suppose someone comes into your meeting dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry, and another comes in who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor one, you can stand over there or else sit on the floor. Well, Doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? Listen to me, dear brothers and sisters. Hasn't God chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith? Aren't they the ones who will inherit the kingdom He promised to those who love Him? But you dishonor the poor. Isn't it the rich who oppress you and drag you into court? Aren't they the ones who slander Jesus Christ, whose noble name you bear? Yes, indeed, it is good when you obey the royal law as found in scriptures, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you favor some people over others, you are committing a sin. You are guilty of breaking the law. For the person who keeps all the laws except one is as guilty as a person who has broken all of God's laws. For the same God who said you must not commit adultery also said you must not murder. So if you murder someone but do not commit adultery, you have still broken the law. So whatever you say or whatever you do, remember that you will be judged by the law that sets you free. 
There will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it to by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, goodbye and have a good day. Stay warm and eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Now, someone may argue, some people have faith and others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. You say you have faith for you believe that there is one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this and they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? Don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see, his faith and actions worked together. His actions made his faith complete. And so it happened just as the scriptures say, Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. He was even called the friend of God. So you see, you are shown to be right with God by what we do, not by faith alone. Rahab, the prostitute, is another example. She was shown to be right with God by her actions when she hid those messengers and sent them safely away by a different road. Just as the body is dead without breath, so also is faith dead without good works. Okay, just like chapter one, this next chapter is filled with practical wisdom that we can start applying in our lives every day. And James just gets going right out of the gate um, in verse 1 of chapter 2. He says, do not show favoritism. Like, it's just wrong. Don't do it. And I think a lot of the times we are like, well, I don't show favoritism, like between the rich and the poor. And I would never go tell a poor person to sit on the floor or sit in the back. But you know, so many times in my life, I have shown favoritism. Like, let's just use the example of our children. I've taken my kids to preschool and I've looked around the classroom and I'm like, oh, okay, these kids look like they are are going to be a good influence on my child, or this family looks good. I think I want to align myself with them, to be friends with them. And that's wrong. And that's what James is telling us. Like, don't size people up like that. It's wrong. And why is it wrong? Well, it's wrong for several reasons. found this in the study Bible. It says it is inconsistent with Christ's teaching. And it's also inconsistent with the way that Christ lived his life on this earth. You know, Jesus ministered to all kinds of people. He ministered to sinners. Like in Matthew, we see that uh, he chose Matthew was a tax collector, and that was a big no-no in that um, Jewish faith and religion to collect taxes from your own people and then profit from them. He collected it for the Romans. But Jesus not only chose Matthew to be one of his followers, he asked him to be one of his disciples. You know, Jesus also, back then, the Jews, they really avoided people that were dirty and people that were unclean. And Jesus chose to heal 
a man with leprosy. And we find that in Matthew 8, 2 to 3. Um, And the man says, will you make me clean? And Jesus said, yes, I will. I will make you clean. And he does. And then also another example of the way Jesus lived his life and his teachings was the woman at the well. You know, most women went to the well in the morning or in the evening when it was cool. But this woman was living a life of sin, a life of adultery. She was also a Samaritan, and she was shunned by culture in general. So she went to the well in the middle of the day. And obviously Jesus knew that, so he met her at the well. And whenever he was there, he ministered to her. And um, that is in John 4, if y'all want to look it up. I just looked up a few examples on my own just to sort of point and show y'all how what James is talking about is reflecting exactly what Jesus lived out every single day. He didn't say, well, you're a Samaritan, so I can't minister to you, or you're unclean, so I can't minister to you, or what your job is isn't honorable, so I'm sorry, you're not welcome in my kingdom. Jesus says, no, everybody's welcome. Everybody's the same, right? Because that's the way God looks at us. Another reason it's wrong to show favoritism is because it's, it's a result from evil thoughts. And that's what James tells us in verse 4. Doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? Yeah, it is. I mean, you're trying to think, how can I profit from getting to know this family or this person or whatever? How can they help me? Maybe if they have a beach house somewhere, maybe they'll invite me to their beach house and that'll be a free vacation for me. I don't know. Everybody knows their own circumstances. I personally don't know anybody that has a beach house, but um, I'm sure if I did, those thoughts might come into my mind. Another reason that it's just wrong to show favoritism, it is it insults people made in God's image. We are all equal and that insults um, God because we're all made in God's image. Another reason is it's a byproduct of selfish motives, that we are going to gain something from a rich person. Another reason that it's wrong, it goes against biblical definition of love. In Matthew, I'm going to look this one up, Matthew 22, 37 through 40 says, Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, that's very important. If we show favoritism, we're going against the biblical definition of love. Also, Romans 13, 8. This is Paul talking, and it's another good reference on love. There's so many throughout the Bible, but I have earmarked three. Let's see. 13, 8. Owe nothing to anyone except for your obligation to love one another. If you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of God's love. All right? And the last one is Galatians 5.14. It says, For the whole law can be summed up in this one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. I love that. And the last, next, no, there's three more reasons why it's wrong. On the sixth one, it says it shows lack of mercy to those who are less fortunate. You know, we always want to be a merciful people. And if we call ourselves Christians and we are showing favoritism, then we are not being merciful. Uh, Another reason is it's hypocritical. 
We're saying one thing and we're doing another, and that's wrong. That also you lose your testimony whenever you live a hypocritical life. And the last one is it's just a sin. God views all people the same, and um, we need to do that as well. Hey friends, it's Katie interrupting to point you to a resource we think is pretty awesome. Birds on a Wire has a Facebook group full of incredibly wise and level-headed mamas, and we would love for you to be a part of it. Now, this group, this is not our normal Facebook page. This is a private group, a place for only moms, where you can ask your most specific questions and crowdsource advice, not just from Karen, but from moms who've been in those same situations and have wise words to offer. We'd love for you to join this positive and uplifting community, especially in these uncertain times. We all need some light and love in our social media feeds. So head to facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash B-O-A-W moms. That's facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash B-O-A-W moms. Or you can just search for B-O-A-W moms group in the Facebook search bar. All right. We hope you join us. We can't wait to see you there. And now back to the show. So the next part I want to focus on is this section of faith and deeds. And it starts in verse 14. And he's, James writes, What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister that has no food or clothing and you say, Goodbye and have a good day. Stay warm and eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and it is useless. Deeds do not save you, like your actions, your works. You know, some religions, they you have to do all these things to gain your salvation. Christianity is not like that, thank goodness. But we can't just say, I have faith in Jesus Christ and leave it at that. You know why? Because true faith changes our actions and our thoughts. If we start applying what we're learning, applying what Jesus is teaching, it will change the way we act and the way we treat others and the way we live our life. You can't help it. The Word of God is, is alive, and it's a living document, and it's the it's the truth and the truth will set us free and it will start to change the way we live if once we start experiencing god's love the natural thing to do is then to show others that same love so if our lives remain unchanged then we aren't truly believing the truths that we claim to believe they go hand in hand in verse 18 It says, now someone may argue, some people have faith, others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. And um, I think it's so important in verse 19, he says, you say you have faith for you believe that there is one God. Good for you, exclamation point. He's like, good for you. That's awesome. But listen to this next line. Even the demons believe this and they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? He's saying just believing that Jesus is the son of God is not enough. You've got to put that into action because the demons believe that Jesus is God and God is who God says he is, but they don't obey him. 
So therefore, they don't have any actions in, or deeds in their life because they are not following God. Does that make sense? So obedience is where life is changed. An example to that for all you guys, just in practical terms, um, there's a verse in the Bible, Philippians 4.19, for my God shall meet all my needs according to his riches and glory. And you know what? As a as a believer, I had learned this verse as a young child, and I had always said it, you know, God's going to meet all my needs. God's going to meet all my needs. And it was so great. But then whenever the rubber met the road was whenever I was married, and um, we had three small children at the time. Greg was working two jobs. He had a job with FedEx, and he was also working a Navy Reserve job. And I actually just forgot about that verse, and I was just looking to Greg to meet my needs all the time. But Greg was only home five days a month average every single month, and I was really raising our children by myself. And I would complain, and I would fuss at Greg, like, you're not home, you're not helping me with these kids, how can I do my job if I'm doing everything? And Greg just said, I'm sorry, you know, this is my job, I got to make a living for the family, and you're going to have to figure it out. And in my um, Bible study, God brought this verse to my mind, you know, for my God shall meet all my needs, all my needs. And I remember one day just declaring that and being like, okay, I've read this for all my life, and now I'm going to put it to the test because, you know, God, I have a lot of needs, and I am a needy person. (laughs) I really am. And I keep looking to Greg to meet my needs, and honestly, he keeps failing. So, Lord, I'm just going to look to you to meet my needs, and I'm going to stand on this verse and remind you of it every day because I have a lot of needs. And, y'all, I just want to tell you, over the next two years, whenever I really started putting that verse into action in my life and looking to God to meet my needs, I would wake up in the morning and I'd be like, all right, God, here are my needs today. I need Um, to get all these errands ran. I need my children to cooperate. I need all these things to happen some way, somehow. It's not like all of a sudden I had magical children and they obeyed all the time because they did not. But God met me exactly where I was. And my faith was, was grown so much in the Lord during that time of my life. Whenever I started acting on obedience and stepping out in faith, not just believing it, not just believing the verse, but putting it to the test, and God answered the call. You know, He sent a really sweet young bride to into my life. She was my Bible study leader at a Bible study that I was attending in Virginia Beach at the time. And she wanted children so bad. She wanted four children. I think by this point, I had four children where I was pregnant with Abby. And she lived far away from her family, so she was really missing her family. And she just asked me one day, would you care? And her husband, this is another side note, her husband was in law school in Virginia. So she was sort of alone. She didn't have a job. They were only going to be there for a year and a half. And she was just sort of bored and lonely, and she said, you know, could I just sort of hang out with you and um, sort of be your nanny, sort of, you don't have to pay me anything. And I just looked at her like, are you for real? Like, she would be like, I'll just ride around in the car with you while you run your errands, and if Taylor falls asleep in the back seat, 
I can just sit there in the car with him and you don't even have to turn it off. I was like, okay, this is all meeting my needs. It was it was better than any husband, you know. She would sit at the house in the afternoon. She loved sweet tea. So I would make a pitcher of sweet tea and we would talk and while I got ready for dinner and the kids would wake up and she was like, I'll go get them. I'll go get them from their crib. And I'm like, okay, that's wonderful. But you know what? I really learned during that time, whenever I look to the Lord to meet my needs and not my husband, he will meet me where I am. And if, but I have to obey first. I have to actually start taking that step in faith and being like, okay, God, I'm going to do this. I'm going to really look to you and I'm going to quit looking to Greg. And it took a long time for me, like I said, two years to get it through my head. But I finally did, and that's the difference. And that's what James is saying here. Faith is amazing. Like, you need faith in God for sure, but you got to act on it because faith without works is dead. So I had to walk out in my faith and trust God to meet all of my needs. And then the last verse, um, 25, he's looking at this, this example of someone. He talks about Abraham. We talk about Abraham a lot, but I wanted to talk about Rahab in verse 25 because she is an example that we don't think God would even use. She's a prostitute. So the, the background of this story is the Israelites got to the city Jericho, and um, they were going in as spies to sort of check it all out and everything. And Rahab was a prostitute in the city, and she protected the spies, you know, against the people of Jericho, because they were looking, they knew they were in the city, they were coming to get them and to kill them. And they knocked on her door and they said, will you hide us? Will you protect us? And she said, yes, come in. I will protect you. She did not believe in their God, but she said, whenever y'all invade the city, will you protect me and my family? And they said, yeah, we will. You know, because you spared us, we will spare you, and our God will protect you. So this we're going to catch up in verse 25. He says, Rahab the prostitute is another example. She was shown to be right with God by her actions when she hid those messengers and sent them safely away by a different road. Just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. It wasn't just enough for Rahab to say, oh, I believe that you're God's chosen people. She says, no, I'm going to act on it. I'm going to hide you in my house in exchange for my freedom and my family's freedom. And the cool story about Rahab is she went on and was in the lineage of Jesus Christ. It's really cool. You should look it up. So that is James chapter 2. I mean, just those verses that we dove into, It's you, you can see it's just so packed with practical wisdom that we can apply right now in our lives. But I'm going to leave you guys with two questions today. One is going to be on the favoritism, and the other is going to be the faith in the deeds or the faith in the actions. So the first question is, what areas in your life do you see yourself playing favorites? You do not have to write in your answer. This is between you and the Lord. And you know, if you feel like, oh, I don't show favoritism, that's great. But if you're sitting there and you're thinking, you know what? I can see 
how I show favoritism to certain people. Like if I go into church, certain families, I think, oh, they're the it family, and I want to make sure I say hey to them. Or maybe it's in your school. Maybe it's at your workplace. You're like, yeah, my boss, I do favor them. I mean, they're my boss. But also, I think they're a little bit better than everybody else, and I want to be friends with them, or I want to move up in the company, or whatever it is. You decide. But what areas in your life do you see yourself playing favorites? And the second question is, what areas in your life do you need to put your faith into action? Like, what is there an area in your life where you've sort of been contemplating, I have faith in God, I have faith in this situation, but I'm not quite trusting Him and acting on my faith. I'm not taking that next step. What is it? Is it with your finances? Is it in your marriage? Is it with your children? Is it with your family, like your extended family? What is it, you know? And um, what do you need to do to take that next step of action into your faith? Okay, that's it for us the second week in April. I hope you guys are enjoying this. I would love to hear your feedback. This is very new. And if it bombs, go ahead and say, hey, Karen, We didn't really love that. That wasn't the best. Let's don't do that again. Because you know what? I don't know unless y'all give me your feedback, truly. I mean, this. um, I know y'all are listening because I can see um, all the downloads and all that, and I'm very grateful for that. But uh, my goal is I want to help every mom in their journey of motherhood. So you're going to have to tell me this worked or not really. You're not going to hurt my feelings. I just want to do it right and, you know, get better with this podcast stuff. So until next week, y'all have a great one and I love you. Take care. 